It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 675 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. That's 675. Hey, I have a good show lined up for you today. Join me first is my guest, Douglas Vigliani. Doug is the author of a book titled The Salesperson Paradox, a strikingly simple way to provide solutions your customers can't say no to. And in our second segment, we'll be joined by my friend, Captain Fantastic, Bridget Gleason. Now, before we get to that, I want to talk with you about The Sales House. Now, The Sales House venture we just launched. It's the only all-in-one sales education community for the smart B2B seller. You want to come experience the hundreds of hours of educational courses and content from me personally, as well as other world-class sales experts, and join our live coaching hours, live workshops, and in-person meetups. It's all designed to accelerate your professional growth, shorten your learning curve, rocket your career to that next level. Now, it's a fact. You hear me talk about that sales training alone won't help you achieve your goals, won't get you where you want to go. I mean, there's more you need to learn about the art, the craft, and the true science of selling. Basically, everything about the human element of sales that training doesn't teach. So, how to build relationships to connect with your buyers, engage their interest, build trust, and inspire them to take action. So, to learn everything about sales that you didn't learn in training, then come visit us. Visit saleshouse.com forward slash accelerate. That is the saleshouse.com forward slash accelerate. Take advantage of our special $1 trial offer. You can come in and experience everything we have to offer for just $1. So, we'll see you at thesaleshouse.com forward slash accelerate. Okay, let's jump into it today with my guest joining, Doug Vigliotti, as I said before, author of The Salesperson Paradox, a strikingly simple way to provide solutions your customers can't say no to. Among the key points we're going to cover today is how to take a customer-first approach in your selling, meaning does the customer feel like they've won after a transaction with you, uh, how to drive to a yes-no decision as early as possible. I think this is really important. How do you get that no-go, go-no-go decision made? Uh, because if your pipeline's full of deals that end up in no decision, it means you didn't drive to that yes-no decision as early as you could have. And also, why you really need to avoid a stressful sales process. I mean, the customer experience during the sales process is hugely important. Doug's going to share with us ways to avoid that. So, all right, all right here we go. Douglas Figliotti, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Andy. So where are you based out of? Uh, based out of New Haven, Connecticut. New Haven, Connecticut. So? The world's best pizza. I know. Which one? <laughs> I'm a Pepe's guy. You're a Pepe's. Me too. All right. Good. I'm glad. We got that, that basis down. <laughs> Pepe's it is. Anytime I'm up in that area, it's just like, I got to stop. I got to go. I'm a big uh, lobbyist for Pepe's. Big, a big lobbyist. I, I love Pepe's. So. Yeah. I've had it. I don't know, maybe only three times, but it's like, oh man, oh man, that was good. Um, I have a friend in in San Diego here, where I am today, that he's a New Haven kid, grew up New Haven, uh, went to University of Connecticut, played baseball, but very much of a uh, healthy eater. I mean, he's, uh, uh, yeah. and, but he makes an exception. So when he says, you know, every time I go home to New Haven, he literally gets physically sick because he eats so much Pepe's pizza. <laughs> he just I, uh, indulges, and then he comes back, and he's good the rest of the year. And I think I can relate. I think I can relate. It's a, that's like my comfort food. If I've had a rough, if I've had a rough go at it, uh, I default to Pepe's. Okay. So, what what flavor? Last question about pizza before we. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm actually, uh, and, and this kind of, I guess, 
will go hand in hand uh, with that. <laughs> you might be able to find some similarity to what we're going to talk about. I'm a very basic guy. I like the the original tomato pie. So it's literally right. it's literally just the uh, red sauce mm-hmm. with pecorino pecorino romano uh, pecorino romano cheese on top, yeah. grated on top, and a little gar- shaved garlic, and that's it. Sounds great. It's delicious. Yeah. Absolutely delicious. Until you have Pepe's crust. I mean, that's the thing that people, you just don't, maybe just don't know pizza until you, and I know other people adherence. I mean, I, I live in New York, so I mean, I love New York pizza as well. They're great, great pizza there, but yeah, <laughs> Pepe's is memorable. <laughs> All right. So uh, you've written a book called <laughs> The Salesperson's Paradox. So what's the paradox? So the paradox is really just the thinking that roots performance. So it's this idea that in order to uh, improve performance, selling performance mainly, you have to move away from selling into helping. It's the core idea of shifting. um, It's moving away from an innate me first mindset that we all experience um, as humans, not not just salespeople, right? So if if you're... um, uh, the way I like to talk about this is, or the way I like to um, show this example is, say we're at a party and we're uh, with a bunch of friends, and you know, you, you give your, you know, you you, you, you want to take a photo, right? So you mm-hmm. give the camera to a stranger. The stranger takes a photo of you and your friends. You get the camera back. Who's the first person you look at? Yourself, yeah. Yourself. So <laughs> it's, 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 it's innate. And we'll not only will we look at ourselves first, but we'll judge the picture off of how well we look. We'll tell you not to post it online. We might even retake the photo. And this is all before you even scan to see anybody else. So the point being is this is innate. It's an innate thing. We're all me first. We all have a self-serving bias. If we're talking in cognitive, you know, as, as a cognitive bias, it, it's just a, it's, it's just innate and there's nothing wrong with that. But to be effective in selling the first thing that you have to do is you have to, and it's a hard thing to do, is to move yourself away from that me first mindset into that customer first mindset and move from selling into helping. And yeah, is is part of the paradox as you see it that we don't teach that to to salespeople or the fact that um, salespeople get to that stage in life where they're starting this career and they have to be taught that. I mean, yes. isn't it, I mean, part of it is socialization. I mean, we'd think, okay, yeah, we're sort of innately self-centered. Uh, you know, it's a preservation instinct, I'm sure, associated <laughs> with that. But, yeah, you know, as humans, right? I mean, you'd hope that people would say, yeah, we're, I mean, what can I do to help somebody else, right? And and I know it's not a majority of the population that takes that that point of view, but even when we get to the point of recruiting people, I mean, is that something you can recruit for? So I think uh, I think I think I think what you're saying, and I'm totally I'm in a total agreement. Is, is there's a conditioning, there's a conditioning effect that that happens both from society, our bosses, investors. That that is sell sell sell, push push push, and then and it's conveyed in our movies. It's conveyed in um, all pop culture in this idea of this the smooth talking hustler, the slick talking salesman. Um, and, and it's this pressure, especially at a young age, if you're not, if you're not brought along in the right manner and taught these core principles early, early enough, you fall victim to that societal assumption, just like society does. And then that weighs on you and you start thinking about selling 
before you're thinking about anything else. When in all actuality, the only thing that you should be thinking about before anything is helping. And then that will stand, that will flow into, so I, I have a sequence that basically looks like this. It's, you know, when I ask people why they started in selling, they all say the same thing. Not all, 90%. I said the same thing. It's money, right? You start because you heard you can make money. You heard you can make a lot of money. So that's why you start. But in all actuality, that's not what's gonna, that's not what's gonna propel performance. So if all you're thinking about is money, you're missing the big picture. And to to earn the money, to 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 get the customer to move along with you, to 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 sell your product, it's about helping the customer get what they want. And if you could do that, it's going to solve, you're going to solve more problems. You're going to hit your quota. You're going to make more money, but it's the idea that you have to condition these young salespeople or older salespeople or business owners. I mean, I, I do a lot of work now with, with, with small business owners and it's conditioning them to even feel and understand that it's a helping mindset that's going to push that along. So what was the impetus to write the book? Cause I mean, this is, I mean, it's a message I agree with, but it's not a new message, right? Yeah. So, so what what were you seeing that told you, yeah, I need to talk about this? Yeah. So totally. So I think one of the the, the core the core ideas is it, it, it's 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 as basic as we're not selling anything. We have, and especially in, in the information age, because in the information age that we're living today, the, that we're living in today is the customer. The customer holds all the cards. They, they, they under, we're, not, we're not operating in the same manner that we once were as salespeople. We're not there to describe the product. We're not there to sell the customer. So the idea of the idea through writing this book was to, to have people understand how they could create solutions that customers actually want to buy from them as opposed to selling a, a product or a service. So it was really that thinking. And then it was the fact that well, this stuff is, you know, oftentimes I, I, when I'm talking with salespeople or I'm talking with business owners, they'll, they'll want to move along, right? They'll want to move past the, I, these, these basic ideas, these core principles. But really, you can't move past these core principles ever. In, it's, it's in fact that simplicity compounded over time is what's actually going to get the results. So, it's, so I, I needed to put that flag in the ground to the flag in the ground and sh- and showcase those those core principles. So the core principles being what? So for me, it's it's all it all stems to it all stems from uh, my iteration on solution selling. Mm-hmm. So uh, I call it cring- a cringe solution, and a cringe solution a is cringe cringe solution. Yes, so, so it's <laughs> like something is cringeworthy. Like something is cringeworthy. So you you know you come across it. And you say you have you, you cringe to say no to it, right? Like so, you, you, it's it's the it's the buy it's the buy one get one catch up. It's the um, it's the solution in the B two B sale. It's anything. It's 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 an overarching concept that guides how you, what you're providing to the customer. And and, and cringe is, obvi- is is a framework. So that breaks down into the six pieces of. Um, of my iteration on, 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 on providing solutions to your customer. Okay. So, so break down cringe, the six elements <laughs> start totally. at the top. Totally. We'll start at the top. So we've already went over the first one. Uh, the first one is a mindset shift that needs to occur early on, um, before you're doing anything tactically. Um, and, and I should say before I start this, that 
my philosophy is rooted in asking yourself is rooted is rooted in strategy not tactics what i mean by that is you, you, tactics are going to be interchangeable so it, it comes down to asking yourself the right questions early on so that way when you're in front of customers or when you're designing your sales copy or whatever you're doing you're able to do that in an effective manner so these are all based off of questions that you're going to need to ask yourself in order to mm -hmm. be able to do the right things tactically. So let's start at the top. So customer C, C starts for what? Yep, customer first. Okay. So it stands for customer first, as in the, over, the, the, general, the general principle is moving from selling into helping, but it's ultimately asking yourself, does the customer feel like they've won after they've transacted with me? Okay. Which is a super important question to ask because you know, I'll use um, great business thinker, Peter Drucker. He, you know, he once said um, to, to business is about creating and keeping a customer, right? And uh, I firmly believe that. And so if you're putting the customer on a pedestal and the, the, the number one thing that you have to take care of is your customer and even more so, uh, especially in today's uh, um, age that we're living in, word of mouth is what drives business. So if your customer doesn't feel like they've won after they've conducted business with you, then they're not going to, they're one, they're not going to come back and do business again. And two, they're not going to tell anybody about it. So it's an overarching concept that then you could, you could break down into different tactics as you, as you go down the, go down the, the pyramid, I guess you could say. Right. But the thing that they have to feel like they won is not necessarily at the time you sign the order. It's when they're actually nope. using your product. Totally. So sometimes, sometimes it's, you know, I'm a, we, we all experience buyer's remorse. We all experience cognitive, cognitive dissonance when we're, uh, after we purchase a product. Um, so the more, things that, the more things that you could do to mitigate that, the, the better off you're going to be able to check off that box. Does the customer feel like they've won? And it doesn't even necessarily, and I'm a big advocate of providing excellent service for your customer. Sure. But the feeling of them winning is more important than anything. They have to feel that as a customer. So what's your strategy for preventing buyer's remorse? Um, so <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question. So I think, I think that the longer that you can extend the sales process, the better off you are. And the, the more touch points you have after the more touch points that you have after the customer, um, after the customer purchases mm -hmm. and the ability to educate them after the customer purchases is going to better enhance their experience. Right. So you, a lot of times I see companies or that will, that once they purchase, it's now up to the customer and that they don't, they're not providing adequate, um, I don't want to say support, but adequate, um, an adequate post transaction experience. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Well, you, you mentioned about extending this, the sales process. So what did you mean by that? Not necessarily extending the sales process, the customer contact process. So okay. you always want to remain in contact with your customer. You don't want to, you know, you want to remain in contact with the customer even after they purchase your, your product or your service. And I think that a lot of times, especially if you're living in that, that, that old school selling mindset, push, 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 sell, 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 it's onto the next, onto the next, onto the next. And, you know, it's volume, it's quantity over quality, but you, it's, you, you've got to have that quality approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, what I advocate people do is, and this is something I did throughout my career, and because of lessons I, I learned, yeah. is that you have to have to remember that that when your customers are 
in the process of buying something, and let's say it's a competitive sales situation, is that when they make their decision, in their mind, what they're buying is actually almost like a a best of everybody they're talking to. Yes. I mean, it's, 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 you know, when you're talking to multiple vendors, it's kind of a confusing process. And it's kind of hard to keep straight exactly what it is you're buying. And so I found, because I was selling some very large, complex systems, that, that the customers were oftentimes confused. So when they signed the order, their expectations were set as, you know, some totally. things in there that we really hadn't talked about. Maybe the competitors had talked about. So what I would do, and insist that people work for me did, is that when you close a deal, is the next day, pick up the phone, call the customer, and say, look, I just want to review what you purchased. And go through a process that we had to find. Say, look, what we're going to do is recap what your requirements were, what we proposed, and why, because they met, you know, why they met your requirements, what you bought, and what we're going to deliver, and when. And when you go through that, when you go through that process, then you really go a long way to mitigating buyer's remorse. Because part of what buyer's remorse is, again, it's it's a confusing time and confusing process for people. Is they're really not sure what they bought. You know, they are, but they aren't, right? And what it's really going to be like, and and there's this period of uncertainty, and certain people have certain things at risk for having made the decision. Go back, reassure them. Lay out everything about you know why they bought what they did, what you're proposing, why you proposed what you did, what they're going to get, and when. And I tell you, a lot of sales managers, a lot of salespeople, they sort of freak out at this prospect because they're afraid that if they pick up the phone and call the customer again so quickly, a customer might change their mind or do something. Totally, never happens. Never happens. They love this call. Totally. So uh, that's a a great example of of exactly where I was going with keeping that customer contact post transaction. Um, and you could even do a pre, you could even do a pre transaction too, uh, by being preemptive with, uh, disarming with, I I call it disarming with competitive disadvantages. So you, you, early on in your sales process, you disarm, you disarm your customer, uh, with what you don't have, with what you can't do. So that way they're not disappointed if they do purchase and they, 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 they do purchase they're not expecting that you to have a certain feature or a certain thing that you, you really don't have, but that has to happen upfront, pre-transact, pre-purchase, right? That, that has to happen early in the in the sales process. Interesting. What well, has to happen within a certain context? I, I would presume. Yeah. So I I I think it believe I I firmly believe that that's a huge trust builder. Um, if you could prevent uh, bad sales from happening, customers will be more mm-hmm. apt to buy from you. They'll be more apt to purchase from you. When the, the the shoe fits, right? When this when the sales sure. when the sale makes sense. Um, so it, it's twofold. So yes, it has that benefit, but it also has the benefit of preventing co- of buyers remorse because you're 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 clearing objections out early on. Um, that or, or or not just objections, but you're disarming. You're 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 saying what you aren't before you tell them what you are, and, and then they're not mm-hmm. you're not building them up off and letting them off a cliff later on. But it seems to me like that's really just part of qualification. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think it's part of qualification. But the question is, are people doing it? I don't know. I mean, that's I, I, you know, I, I'm I'm well, advocating what I think you should, what, what I think should be done. I'm not advocating whether it, it's part of qualification. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, that <laughs> qualification I think is is the lack of efficient qualification or effective qualification. Excuse me. Is is at least by 
you know, well, various th- reports, I- you know, it's, it's fairly problematic. I mean, throughout sales is that there's reluctance. Qualification does one thing is that it minimizes the number of people you have in your pipeline. And, and increasingly in certain segments is there's a huge emphasis, especially more transactional, SaaS-based uh, products, a huge emphasis on pipeline coverage. And sort of a series of a, you know, sort of perverse incentives created to not do as good a job of qualifying or disqualifying prospects out of your pipeline. So I think what, what you talked about, I think the value really becomes, for me, as I look at it, is really in this qualification process. Yeah, I think one way that to divine, define your value to someone is to make sure they understand what you don't do. Yeah, uh, I think that that I think it's extremely important. I think again, going back to the the, the general um, the general idea that there's of the societal pressure, the boss pressure, the selling pressure, um, it be, sometimes that becomes challenging and to, to 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 execute on. Although it is what you should be doing. Right, right. Well, that's right. I said there were our perverse incentives created yeah. to to totally. maximize the size of a pipeline. Irrespective of whether it's really quality or not, and and we see research reports that come out that say that uh, a sort of range you see it's sometimes it's fifty to eighty percent of qualified opportunities in a pipeline don't fit. Well, make the decision, make the no decision. decision. <laughs> they, make, they make you know they don't make a decision at all, and that from a sales perspective, certainly for me as a salesperson and as a sales manager. That was the worst outcome totally. that could happen. I mean, I, I'd rather lose a deal. I'd rather lose a deal than have the customer say no decision because then at least I knew that they were qualified to make a decision. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I think, um, I think early. I mean, there's there's a couple, th- you know, there's a couple of different ways that I could <laughs> could go with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think definitely one of them is driving to drive into a yes no decision as early as possible. You know, driving to a yes no decision. Is a, is a basic principle. It's a basic concept that you know. I definitely advocate. I, you know, I, I don't think yes, no. It means is, they're going to make the decision whether to make a change or not. Ex- exactly. You know, yeah, your well, pipeline isn't full. You know, your pipeline isn't full if it's full of dead deals, right? So it's it's you have to uh, you have to you have to understand if they're and, and you can actually identify that early on through different um, objection uh, objection handling techniques, right? Like so. Um, if, if you're in a qualification period and you're under, and you don't understand, if you're in a qualification period and the lack of questions, the lack of quality of questions coming back to you is, 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 is low, then you know that this customer is really not that interested. So you should really pay attention to not just the questions you're asking, but the quality of questions that are coming back to you, because these are things that are going to help mitigate those dead deals or those no decision deals that are in your pipeline earlier on in, in the decision making mm-hmm. process. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's one indicator. I think the other indicators um, you know, I believe that if the customer doesn't have a vision of what this product is going to do for them and can quant- totally. and can quantify. They don't haven't put together actually this is what Value. we expect this is what we expect to receive from using this product whether it's you know we quantify it into dollars you know, market share top line growth bottom line growth whatever cost efficiencies there has to be a metric or two that 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 they have quantified you know not just they're thinking they've quantified and if they haven't gotten to that point they haven't made that go no go yes no decision 
Totally. I couldn't agree with you more. It's got to be ultra specific to the client. Um, I mean, you, you've got to, and when I say, and I, I advocate this all the time is, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, there's got to be a reason why they're going to, they're going to want to move forward and you've got to find that early and you've got to find the quantifiable metric that you're going to be able to go back to them and utilize, uh, to benchmark whether they should or they shouldn't from, from a financial standpoint. Well, not only benchmark, but qualify your own product. This, this is the part that I think most sellers miss is, okay, you may, you may quantify. And most sellers miss the quantification, but if you've quantified the buyer's desired outcome and they've quantified it, then the next step is, okay, can you show them that you actually help them achieve that? Yeah, and how if, do you and, build the bridge? And if you, can't, if you can't do that, then you don't have a qualified prospect. Totally. But I agree. most people just blast right by that. You know, I agree. Boom. They said they want to buy something sort of like ours, so they must be qualified. I agree. I think all these situations get very, very nuanced, right? So it's, it's, um, but I, I totally, totally agree with you. Yeah, actually, it's funny about qualification, though, is I think it's less nuanced than people think. I think it's, it's a process that, that people need to follow that, that they're not taught. Again, because, you know, managers oftentimes have incentives to have a certain pipeline coverage as well. And so, yeah. In certain top industries, we, yeah, top down pressure, corners get cut, it just compounds. And then you get a result where, yeah, you've got a really low close rate. You might have great lead flow, but you have a really low close rate. And it's like, well, it doesn't need to be this way. So Yeah, it, it usually has to do with, with prospects, right? It usually has to do with the quality of the leads in the pipeline to get go. So, yeah, totally, totally yeah. agree. Well, right. And so it brings back to sort of another issue you were sort of alluding to earlier in terms of simplicity is that that yeah, I'm a huge believer in simplicity in sales as, as you are as, and clear from your book. But when you look at situations like why don't more, you know, why do we have such a high rate of no decision decisions taking place in pipelines and so on is because we have fundamentally failed at sort of the human level of selling, connecting, engaging, building trust so we can get to the point of really effectively qualifying or disqualifying somebody. And, and unfortunately, too often sales are taught these days is, yeah, well, you, yeah, you qualify, you disqualify. It's sort of a you know, high-level type thing. And actually, you really can't qualify, finally qualify someone until you've actually built that relationship and you built the trust up so they're going to reveal some of this information to you. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you, you, it's, you know, you've got to set the rules, the, the boundaries at a certain, you know, you have to set the rules early on in the relationship. You got to set the boundaries um, to where they need to be early on. So that way, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you can't have a sales process under tension, right? So the more you can do to set those boundaries, set those rules of how the interaction is uh, going to look early on, um, we, the, how the process is going to look, how the everything is going to look, the more you can lower that tension, the more you're going to be able to build trust with the, the, with, with, with the customer, right? I mean, it's no secret that tension is bad for relationships. So the more that we could do to minimize that tension is going to build that trust. And, you know, I, I also... So what you're saying is, is tell the prospect what the buying process, selling process is going to look like. 100%. And then, at, and then getting their buy-in that they're okay with it. It's even rules are collaborative. They're not set by you. So you still have to get their buy-in. So it's, yes, this is how I intended to go. Are you okay with that? Yes. Okay, great. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's not a, it's not a, I'm the dictator. I'm going to lay down the, I'm going to lay down the law. You know, it's, it's, it's the, 
it's the idea that once you have a collaborative and, and then that also starts to build unity, right? And so when you start building unity, you can start leveraging what I call same team approach, where now you're on the same team trying to solve the problem at hand as opposed to you know, fighting against each other. Because right, everything changes inside of a sales process when once you and the client feel like you're, you're not defeating each other anymore and you're trying to solve the problem at hand. When, that's like the golden rule. Once, once that happens, or not the golden rule, but that, for me, that's like once that happens, now you're, you're in the driver's seat because now you're working together. One of the earliest things that you could do to ignite that mm-hmm. is get setting rules, getting buy-in early on, right? And, 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 and then building off of things like we talked about before, dis- disarming with competitive disadvantages, things you're not going to, building that trust early on in the relationship to decrease tension. I mean, I have four pillars of, of trust building. Which um, are? That are? Yeah. So one of them obviously is honesty. So honesty is, you know, a lot of times, and and, and I know it's simple, but it's, 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 it's the more honest you can be and the more consistent you are with you being honest, what you don't have, what you do have, um, all that little stuff, the higher your trust level is going to go. Listening. Listening is another one. This is another thing that, you know, we're, we have an idea of what we want to say, before the, before the call starts, that's fine, right? You want to have a pre-conversation, focus session, what you know, what have you? But you've got to answer what the what the customer is saying because it, ultimately it's to give them what they want, right? That you're you're trying to build that bridge between what you have and what they want, and you can't do that without listening. The third piece is be a resource. So you, you got to be honest. You got to listen. You have to be a resource. You have to be able to add value and educate. And then the fourth piece is you got to deliver on your word. So no matter what you say inside those that boundaries, those, that, that rule setting, uh, what you say the product can do, what you say it can't do, uh, what you say you can do, what you say you can't do, you have to be able to deliver. When you say you're going to do something, now mm-hmm. it's your obligation to, to, mm-hmm. to deliver. Those four things are, are my pillars of, uh, of trust building. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not dissimilar from, from the ones that I, that I use that are really based on work from Stephen M. R. Covey and his book Speed of Trust is, you know, are your motives transparent to yep. the prospect? Do you have integrity, which aligns with your honesty, is that do your words align with your actions? Yep. And or Robert Cialdini would call that consistency influence where everything aligns. Right. Um, are you competent and can you execute? Which you know matches what you talked about as well. So um cool. So that's just <laughs> close to time here, and we've had a great conversation. So, uh, just last question is is I'm sort of curious about this. We, we, is, we only got we only got to the C in the in the framework. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> that's all right. I don't. We, we we follow our muse. <laughs> I know. I don't. I don't. You'll don't you'll uh, you'll give people information about where they can buy <laughs> the book, and yeah, we're just teasing it out for them here. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Totally. So, well, let's talk about your book for a second. So, your book. Salesperson's Paradox, um, available on Amazon everywhere else. Uh, yeah, it's available on Amazon. It has an ebook, audio book, and um, print. So you know you can get all three options. That's the only place that it's available. Uh, actually, I just a month ago we um, we my team and I we put it on Kindle Unlimited. So mm-hmm. right, if you're a Kindle Unlimited user, you can actually go and uh, read it for free right now. So read it for uh, free. So how do yeah. you get paid? How do you get paid on that? Uh, so Kindle Unlimited really just works on page views. So okay. it, you're in what's called the Amazon Global Fund, mm-hmm. um, and based on a certain percentage of page views that are are read, 
you get a certain percentage. So, All right. I, so, I, I, so I, people I listening to the show, if you go get Doug's book on Kindle Unlimited, at least scan through to the the end of the book, right? <laughs> I don't know. Page page by page, just hit that right arrow till you get all the way to the end. We'll make sure you get good full benefit out of that. Yeah, no, it, I, it, it's 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 fine. It, it, the ebook I only sell for two ninety nine anyway. So all right, it doesn't, all right. So okay, well, Doug, unfortunately, we run out of time. So do tell people how they can find out more about you, and obviously, we know they can go to Amazon to find the book. Yeah, totally. So it's very, very simple. Just go to my name, douglasvigliotti.com. Everything flows through there. I write a um, uh, thousand to fifteen hundred word article once a month. I do a reading list uh, every month as well, where I recommend three books that I've read. A big reader. Um, so what's the last? What's the last non-sales book you read? Oh, I read tons of non-sales books. I know. So I, which I, one did you I, recommend? Uh, the last book that I just read was uh, When by Daniel Pink, uh, The Science of uh, mm-hmm. Timing, the scientific, uh, you know, so, so um, that was the last one that I read. But I, I, I often read books that are not sales based. In fact, probably my favorite sales book other than my own um, was by Chet Holmes, uh, mm-hmm. Ultimate Sales Machine. Ultimate uh, so Sales Machine, right? That's one of my go-tos. The other one that's a big go-to for me is... Uh, um, Jay Abraham's uh, uh, getting uh, what is it? Uh, I can't think of it. Uh, it it's it's that's um, okay. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of it. Anyway, those are my. Other than that, I stay with primarily psychology. I do a lot of um, uh, history stuff like that as well. So all, primarily nonfiction, but um, I, I don't read too too many sales books, which is probably healthy for you. Yeah, I, mean, I think a, I think people should be reading sales books, but they need to leaven their reading list with non-sales books as well. I'm a big advocate of pulling from uh, parallel industries and pulling. You know, you're you're not going to be if you're doing what everybody else is doing, then you're not going to be able to get. You're not going to be able to get exponentially ahead, right? So it's it's it, it pull small concepts from other industries, implement them in your own, and I think you're going to see. Uh, you know, increased results that way. So that's that's the philosophy that I kind of live by. Yeah. Well, people follow the show. Listeners, uh, readers know that uh, awesome. my philosophy is from Thomas Huxley, 19th century British writer. In life, you should try to learn something about everything and everything about something. So, I love it. You're gonna. I love it. I love it. Thank. It's. Uh, so be widely read and then master what you're working on. So. Got to do both. It's not an or, it's an and. All right, Douglas, great to talk to you. Great to meet you. And I look forward to doing this again. Yeah, Andy, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. All right, thank you, Doug. Okay, friends, that was Doug Vigliotti, author of The Salesperson Paradox, a strikingly simple way to provide solutions your customers can't say no to. Up next, my fantastic co-host, Bridget Gleason. Now, today, Bridget and I tackle the topic of routines. You know, daily routines. Why you need to have set routines in your day, like in the morning or in the evening. And we'll get into how to optimize these routines to help you achieve your goals. That's a really important topic because, you know, actually it's very uh, topic of the day, if you will, because lots of books being published about this right now. I love talking about it because routines, as I said, are so important. All right, let's jump into it. Bridget, how are you doing? I'm back to being fantastic. I'm back to feeling good and fantastic and just happy to be doing what I'm doing. Grateful Great to be alive. Grateful set. to be alive. Yes. So, are are you able to be running? Hell yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, 
you had surgery. No, it's a good question because I didn't for two weeks, which is the longest I haven't run in so long. Two weeks I didn't run. Yeah. Well, how long? Two weeks. How long do you think it's been that you hadn't run for two weeks? 10 years? Uh, 20 years? I, I can't remember a time. Time immemorial? A <laughs> time immemorial, like years. Like I'm so just pathetic. Like I'm a, like a little white rat about having to do these things. I like my habits and routines. Yeah. Well, clearly, right? Well, I mean, I, I, it's funny. I, I, uh, so as, as I think you probably know, was, you know, we launched the sales house recently. Congrats. Thank you. And it's uh, going extremely well. And, and so I've sort of changed up how I'm communicating with the audience. I used to have the weekly newsletter. Now I'm doing daily, daily bits and bites. Um, but yeah, personalizing a little bit and talking about my morning routine. And, and it's funny, a lot of people have written in already and said, A, I want to learn more about morning routines and, and B, you know, here's mine. What do you think? So on and so forth. Um, but I wonder, is, is, so for you, with your morning routine, you run religiously, is, do you log your runs? You say, okay, you know, every day I, I ran X amount, uh, took, the weather was like this, you know, my knees felt good, my hips felt great, or, you know, whatever. I mean, do you track that? No. Okay. Your exclamation point. And I used to. <laughs> I used to, I used to time everything and run, and I was doing more like I would run marathons. I ran a yeah. lot yeah. and I time, am, am I faster? And how far did I go today? And I was religious about it. And now I, I, I decided I've got in this, I, I stopped that a number of years ago. I've got enough things that I am measuring myself on like i'm very competitive with myself <laughs> yeah, that's I, don't I, ask. Add, I don't need to add another one i just decided i need to go on like a give myself like a mental health break around my exercise and just i listen i actually i listen to podcasts i listen to books mm -hmm. it's more meditative while i'm running than err because um, the rest of the day the you're, rest of the day, you're, uh, <laughs> uh, like yeah, the rest of the day, I'm a little. So I just need a time. My, my morning routine is the chill. All right. Take, so so take pill. so take us through. You wake up with any luck at all. Yeah. And I wake up at four without an alarm. Without an alarm. No, I don't need an alarm. Okay. So you wake up at four. I wake up and and I wake up at four enthusiastic first thing okay. out of, first thing I, out of your mouth i honestly sometimes i look at the clock what a and beautiful see, day and it, i'll see three and i'll think oh it's not time to get up yet like i love morning i'll get up make um an espresso so I have some coffee and i will read the new york times before you run yeah okay read the New York times and write in my journal. So I write every morning, mm -hmm. every day, and then I'll go out and I'll do a run. Um, and lately, yeah, I'm in the office. I usually the office for the office around six thirty, quarter to seven makes for a long day. 
Because <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not waking up in the morning. You're waking up in the night. <laughs> we, yeah, I'm waking should, up in the night. We should talk about Bridges, Bridges' night routine, which ends up being a morning routine. I know. So um, I just, I'm just, I'm wired for morning. So my things, the important things for me in the morning are coffee, um, a little reading, just like what's going on in the news, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. writing in my journal and exercise. And then I feel like I've done these things for me and I shower. Okay. I don't just go in. Thank God. Yes. I do for me. And then no, I, can yeah, I, think go, you, I think you shower for the people in your office, but I yeah. shower for the people <laughs> in the office. It, it, then I can go and be in the world and do things, you know, then I can go give to others, but I do, I do need to do those things for me before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I exercise virtually every morning. I mean, they're odd day, perhaps when I don't, um, whether it's biking, running, swimming, as are vary based on where I am, um, you know, which, <laughs> which coast I'm on. And, um, but yeah, I, let's see, I get up probably five thirty. I mean, maybe a little bit later. In that the... seemed that would have seemed early if you had gone first. Yeah, I know. Yeah, now it seems like right. I'm a, now a, it's a like... abject slacker. Yes. Um, right. Well, I probably stay up a little later than you do. I hope. Hope you're getting more of that uh, sleep. Do you, do you stay up past eight? Yeah. Well. Okay. <laughs> sometimes I'm asleep at eight, but it's not, I'm, I'm on the couch. <laughs> okay. But okay, um, yeah, I'm in bed by and asleep. Between 11 and 11.30. And uh, get up roughly usually around 5.30. Yeah, I don't, don't really have to set my alarm to do that after all these years. And um, yeah, I'll read a little bit first, typically. Scan the news. See what's going on. Um, which I think is really important. I, and I urge <laughs> salespeople, if you're not reading the news. Some people, there's a lot of debate about what you should read first or they should you know, journal first or read you know, something for your profession first. I think spending 15 minutes just keeping abreast of what's going on in the world is, is really useful for any, anybody whose job is to talk to other people in other. this world. Right. Right. I agree. So uh, the naysayers that say, don't do that. Yeah, you're wrong. Um, or I disagree, let's say, to be more gentle about it. So yeah, I'll catch up on the news. Then yeah, I tend not to uh, journal in the formal because I'm usually writing something every day um, anyway. So I'll yeah then go go exercise whether it's uh, go hop in the the pool or hop on my bike um, or as I did this morning just go out and put in a quick four miles. Uh, that was it was horrible. <laughs> I'm in San Diego today when I was recording this. And uh, on the West Coast uh, office of our vast empire. And it was humid. It was 85, 86% humidity this morning. And so it felt like, why why did I leave New York to escape the humidity to come here? And to come to San Diego (laughs) to be in, yes. Yes, it was like, yeah, when did San Diego turn into Washington, D.C.? So, yeah, so it was a little bit of a slog. Uh, this morning. We can add that. Remember last week we talked about glom and oomph. And oomph, and so now we've got slog. we got slog, yeah. I I think there are the habits and routines. You know, we're talking about the ones that we have that are personal, but I think 
it's so important in sales to be able to establish habits and routines as mm-hmm. well. Because the thing about them is then that energy, when something's a habit, let's say it's for cold calling or for we've talked about reading or for educate, whatever it is, whatever habit you get into, you then are not needing to tap into an energy supply to get you to go do it. You know, it's already become something that you mm-hmm. do and you can use the energy that you've got for more creative pursuits and um, strategizing on accounts, things that you can't make so routine. I think routines and discipline are so important in sales. Yeah, and I'm, as you are, clearly, a huge believer in in exercise. And I was talking to, via email, with, with one of my readers this week, about morning routine and and he was sort of talking about the fact he wasn't quite as regular as he wanted to be and in getting out and running every morning or exercising every day and yeah to comment about how he felt the difference and I think that this is you know we live we live in a or we work in an environment especially in sales it requires a lot of energy a lot of you know putting on a good face when you're talking to people even sometimes when you're not feeling fantastic like perhaps you were over the last couple of weeks is yeah. Exercise sort of gives you that, that grounding, that exercise, that energy to face the world and to be able to actually have the endurance to go throughout an entire day. Yeah. And, and for me also, it's, I guess I send a message to myself every day that, um, I have a goal and I accomplish it because I am a person who accomplishes a goal or I set out to do something. I'm a person who sets out what I say I'm going to do. And it's just this message that I send myself of who I am and who I want to be. And like you said, you come to the, you, you translate that into work. It does give you more energy. It also is just a reminder. Yeah. When I set myself to do something, I do it. Mm-hmm. And it was just before this call, I was meeting with one of my sales directors who was <clears throat> frustrated that someone on his team, one of the SDRs, um, had a goal of 100 emails and 90 calls for a week, which is not high. It was, it was a, it's, a, it's a relatively low target. And he hit 90 emails and 63 calls. And my sales director was baffled, as was I. Like, why would you not hit the goal? Like, why would you, why would you stop short of hitting that goal? And I think there's also something for me about discipline and exercise that I'm goal-oriented. I say I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. I have a, a plan to run every day. I'm going to run. I have a plan to make this calls. I'm going to make this number of calls. And I don't stop until I do it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's some of that transference that I also think is really um, important and beneficial. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you talk about this idea, as we often do with, with reps about blocking time for specific activities in your day, you do that on the personal side as well. And so it's, you know, one discipline is very similar to the other. 
you know, if you're blocking two hours in the morning every morning to make calls uh, or do your outreach, block an hour even before you get up, or not before you get up, before you go to work to, uh, to exercise, take care of yourself. It'd be, I would sometimes like to block my exercise before I get up. <laughs> and like, I'd love to have it done before I get up, if that's possible. Yeah. Like, exercise is done before I get up. There are days where it's just hard. It's just, there are there. And, and I think that somebody once said to me, oh, you're lucky. You, you, you love to exercise. It's like, no, I don't. I oh. do it. Oh, I love it. I don't. I don't love it. I, I should say I don't love it every day. Yeah, that's different. Okay. Sure. I don't love it every day. So there are a lot of days, gosh, especially in Boston, come winter, you think I want to get up and go running, trudging in the snow? I will tell you right now, N-O. I do not. Yeah, and you're not running on a treadmill in a gym. You're outside. I know. I know. So that's all discipline at that point. Yeah. And and sometimes like a little crazy in the head. but Yeah, I think running in a major city at 4.30 in the morning is... <laughs> not always the wisest thing to do. Well, I don't, uh, it's not 4.30 when I run because I've sure, got to do you got your other things. Probably right. 5.30. It's probably 5.30. It's still oh dark 30 for the most part. Oh, yeah, it is, it is oftentimes <laughs> oh dark 30 yeah. yeah, you're right. Oh yeah. dark 30 That's good. I like that. oh dark 30 Yeah. Yes. True. Yeah, I mean, some days I'll, it'll be similarly dark when I take off on my run in, in Manhattan. But, you know, that's an incredibly safe city. I, <laughs> not all places I am don't want to go out and, and run at that time. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. Last weekend, we were last week. Vicky and I were taking a little vacation. We, were, we had had some points to use that were going to expire. And so I said, well, let's see if we can use. We had some time. We wanted a few days we wanted to take off. I said, so what can we do with this minimal number of points? It's, it's like... What can we afford? So we go through his SPG website. And what we could afford was Palm Desert, California. In August? Yeah, where the average temperature was, I don't know, I think 106 or something last week. I I know that because that's where my family would go in the summer also because it was cheap. You know, I'm one of seven kids. I'm one of kids. We went to Palm Desert. And we, so, right. So we, we show up at the resort. And uh-huh. the place is the just dry. No, the place is just packed for the exact reason you talked about. Full of families with young kids um, taking advantage they of the inexpensive rates to. And I'm like, okay, how do the the kids understand? They're having a good time. They're on the water slides and you know bouncing around and so on. But it's like the parents have to sit there and watch them. And it was literally like setting up your lawn chair inside your oven. <laughs> I mean. I- when you when you walked when you walked outside, I know people are fascinated by this. Such a sales conversation. But when you walked outside from your air conditioned condo unit, it's like that feeling you get when you're baking something in the oven. You open the door and sort of stick your head down to look at it, and you get this you know blast of heat in your face. It's like that every time I walked outside. I didn't do a lot of running last week. We did go out for a bike ride. We took our bikes and we did do a bike ride. It was like ninety five when we left the house. Like a Six six thirty something like that, and it didn't get any warmer or any colder. Excuse me, um, but fortunately there was a little bit of a, a layer of overcast, so it it wasn't 
real brutal. Um, but still, I did my running. Did I, did, you, I, did, I did my running indoors last week. Did you feel like that was a good use of points? Well, they were going to expire, so <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, as long as it wasn't like more painful. No, no, we actually had a good time. We caught up on movies. We went to we went to oh, went to ten a.m. showing of uh, shows of movies, and we were. I think in one case we were the only ones in the theater at ten a.m. And uh, so you had a private theater. Yeah, and there was one of those you know nice theaters with uh, that usually charge like twenty Big bucks with the reclining seats and so on. It was only seven bucks a head at 10 wow. a.m. in the morning. Wow. And uh, yeah, so we saw a few movies. There are actually some very nice restaurants in that area. We we went to, and again, wasn't hard to get into them because. But I think because there are so many families, like we went to the grocery store a couple times, they were they were packed. So um, yeah, it was really interesting as the places were packed and. Yeah, I, my parents took us to Palm Springs once when we were kids, and my only memory but, really was my dad picking us up and carrying us across the pool deck to throw us in the pool because the, the deck was too hot to, to touch with our bare feet. Uh, how did we get on this? I don't know, but here we are. Here we are, talking about discipline and how running, discipline and habits and how yeah. they transform and morning routines. And, and if you work in sales long enough and, and travel enough, you, you get all these points you have to use for various well, things. Me, what I would say is maybe if we had to net-net the benefit of this particular exchange we've had, yes. is sales is about relationships. And it's about conversations. And it's about... Um, you know, as we talked about, tuning into reading the news is so that when you start, I've had lots of conversations like this, maybe not quite as long like this with prospects and customers. Mm -hmm. And it's important if you've got a, a range of things and experiences that you can, it's almost like improv, talk about exactly. and build like improv. on, you you just you're going to end up having just a richer experience and a, and a prospect that's more likely to open up and share things and um it's also just more interesting it's more fun exactly. i always love getting to know my prospects and customers and what they're doing and i think that's one of the greatest perks of the job i agree i agree actually somebody had sent me an email this morning uh, one of my members saying um What's the you know best first question to ask somebody? And he wanted my opinion on what he said. And his first question, which is actually very similar to one that that I use, and sometimes use on on this show with with guests other than you, is uh, so where are you from? And it's like okay, sure, people. That's a great conversation starter. People like to talk about where they're from. It's a great one, and it's it's non threatening. It's not too personal, but it's per you know it can be as personal as you want it to be. It's a great first question, great your, opening question. Right, and to your point about if you take the time to read a little and read about the world and experience the world, travel some, when you ask that question, people come back with an answer. It's like, yeah, you'll have something to contribute. You've read something about where they're from. You know something about what their, their area, maybe something they're interested in. Oh, hey, you know, you're from Dutch and such. Have you ever you know, gone to this museum or, or what have you? 
it works. It's a great, it's a great thing. You just have to hold up your end of the bargain and be informed. That's it. All right, Bridget. All right. Wow, we covered Andy. a lot of ground. I wouldn't say we were oh, we no. followed a straight a straight line anywhere today. No, there was no straight line. <laughs> I like it. But uh, we covered a lot like of ground. It. Yeah, and people learned a lot about you and about me. So there you go. All right, whether Bridget. they wanted to or not. Whether they want. Well, hey, Andy. They could always, and maybe they have by now. They've turned this off, so who knows? But. Hey. It's just you and I talking to ourselves. It's it's likely that is the case, but we had a good time. All right, Bridget, until next time, it's been fantastic. And likewise, have a good one. Stay cool. Yeah, we'll try. I, I'm, ang- I'm a month from fall, right? I'm anxious for fall to be here already. So, Don't get anxious for winter, though. No, no, but... You know, I have an escape hatch, so it's it works for me. So Yes, you do. You do. <laughs> Talk to you All later. Right. Bye-bye. Okay. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the Week. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guests, Douglas Figliotti and my friend, Bridget Gleason. Join me again next week as I welcome my friend, Jeff Shore, back to Accelerate, I think, for maybe the third time, maybe the fourth time. And we're going to be talking about decision-making shortcuts. Now, it's not shortcuts in the sense of like a hack or something you're thinking. Something much more important, a little more subtle, but something to really help you get the customer on track to give you make a decision. So uh, come back. Join me for that one. I want to thanks again to our sponsor, Discover Org, for their ongoing support of Accelerate. And thank you again for joining me. Until next week, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>